Well, I am sure glad you are here today, and I am sure glad to be here today. I, uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it today, honestly. At about 3.30 in the morning last night, I had some doubts. And let me tell you about them. My wife will tell you that I am not a dreamer. I've probably had four reasonably vivid dreams in my entire life that I can actually remember and tell people about. But last night, I had three incredibly vivid, terrifying nightmares. Absolutely terrifying. Woke me up in the middle of the night, and I was distraught. I went to go check on our children. I was making sure our doors were locked. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a wild night. So I am really glad to make it. And um, I actually woke up this morning, and I prayed. And I said, um, God, if, if anything um, about last night taught me anything. It's that on my way to church this morning, all four of my tires are going to blow out, and my engine's going to explode, and it's going to be pouring down torrential rain, and I'm going to have to walk here on the highway getting, you know, just splashed over and over again by big <laughs> semis. And, um, but that's okay. And that didn't happen. I made it here all right, and I'm glad to be here. Like Norm said, my name is Robert Roseworm. I am the student pastor here at Eastside, so I get to hang out with young people. And um, I want to tell you a story about some young people. Actually, it's about my son. Um, I was at a school event a few weeks ago. He was standing near a couple of his acquaintances' buddies, and I was sitting at a table near. And I don't really know how the conversation got started, but at one point, one of the children, one of the young men said, um, you know, my dad is really cool. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be one of those my dad's really awesome conversations. Let's see, what, let's see what happens. So he said, so my dad's really cool. He's, he's an attorney, and if you give him a topic, he can talk for an entire hour without stopping. And the other boy who was standing next to Bradley says, pokes out his chest, and he says, oh, yeah? I got you on that. My dad's a professor. If you give him a topic, he can talk for two hours without stopping. My son bowed his head a little bit, scrunched his shoulders down, and he said, oh yeah? Well, my dad's a pastor, and he can talk for three hours, and he doesn't even need a topic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you folks are in for a treat today, apparently, according to my son. You'll get to be the guinea pigs, and we'll get to enjoy this together. Today we're going to talk about building one another up. The Bible teaches us about two forms of building one another up. There's a kind of a simple form, and there's more of an intensive form. And so um, before we get there, though, we're going to talk about this concept of building. And so I want you to flip in your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 6. There is a, uh, oh, I don't know, a stirring going on at this point in the Gospels, and one of those really, really religious people that didn't like Jesus very much gets up and he says in verse 3 of Mark 6, Isn't, is this not the carpenter? And he's kind of trying to be rude. He's trying to be, oh, um, you know, basically saying, this is just some normal everyday guy. But I think, I think he said something profound in that moment. If you study this passage and you understand the original meaning of this concept of carpenter, it's, it's really a builder. It's not somebody that works with wood like we understand today, but it's somebody that would work with metal, 
or with stone or any other kind of substance and would build things, homes, furniture, all that kind of stuff. And so when you read that passage, you could say, you could say to yourself, isn't this Jesus the builder? And I think what was profound about that statement by the one who was trying to insult Jesus was I think that he is. He is the builder. He's trying to build in our hearts, and he's trying to build through us in this world his kingdom. I think it's an incredible thing. Go ahead and flip on over to 1 Thessalonians 5.11. We're going to learn a little bit more about this concept of building. If you've made it there already, you um, will see that Paul here is writing about building one another up. It's, it's a really powerful statement. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalon- Thessalonica here, and this is a pretty lively town. It's a kind of a commercial and military center for that part of the world, and they had a really incredible start to their church, and uh, suddenly they've been kind of inundated with some false teaching as well as some other issues, and so Paul wrote this whole letter to them to try to encourage them and spur them on and to maintain that passion, that fire, and that energy, and towards the end, as if he hasn't said enough encouraging and meaningful stuff, he gives them an order. He gives them a command. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as in fact you are doing. Now, this verse is really neat because it says build one another up, and we just learned about Jesus being a builder, and so there's a connection there, right? That was was really cool. But what it really means is um, this concept of encouraging and building one another up are two different things. It's to care for and comfort and to mentor. That's what Paul's really saying here. He's saying, I want you to say something nice to your neighbor. I want you to show up for somebody, maybe you don't even know them, in their time of need. And he's also saying, and I want you to invest in in, in important and meaningful relationships with other people where you're encouraging and spurring them on in their faith. So he's saying two things. Let's talk about caring for for just a few minutes. I'll tell you a little story about that. Um, my wife and I moved here to Eastside about, I don't know, it was like five or six weeks ago or something like that. Um, before that, we had spent a few, maybe about a year, year and a half at another church. But the church that really was my kind of home was the church I grew up in. I started going there when I was two, and my family grew up in that church. I accepted Jesus at 10 years old in that church. I was baptized. I really met God for real for the first time when I was 17. I got married in that church when I was 19. My son was baptized in that church a number of years ago. My daughter was dedicated there when she was born. I mean, it's a, it's a, it was our home. Our, our entire life, you know, happened around what was at the time called First Christian Church, now it's South Rock Christian Church. But something crazy happened a couple of years ago, and I want to tell you about it. My wife and I, we've always lived in Wichita. We live um, kind of in midtown Wichita. And the, um, the school our son has attended for life, he made some friends at. And a couple of years ago, some of his parents' friends invited us over for dinner. We, of course, reluctantly said yes, because if you're a Christian, you know you can't say no to people when they ask you stuff like that. And so we reluctantly said yes, um, because we had to. And we went over and we ate with them. And they made this 
spectacular meal. I mean, it was delicious. I, don't, I can't even remember what it was. But I do know that dessert was even better. And they had this coffee from Turkey. Have you ever had Turkish coffee? I like coffee. It was delicious. And so they get us this dessert and this coffee afterwards. I'm about ready to fall asleep. I've eaten so much at this point. And they bring us into this little family room, and there's like three or four other couples standing or, or sitting around, and we're just kind of chatting. And then they say this thing. They say, now we want you to know we invited you here for a specific reason. And I'm like, oh, no. I reach my hand over and put it on my wife's leg, and I'm like, Amway. We're going to get hit up for Amway. <laughs> we're in serious trouble. We're in serious trouble. And so I gave her that look like, okay, as soon as there's a break in the conversation, we're out of here, you know? And instead of saying something about Amway or some other multi-level marketing scheme, they said, we're a part of a small group. All these people here in this area with all of your son's friends. And we've been wanting to ask you for a couple of years to be a part of our small group. And we just wondered, would you guys join us? So again, you know, like, you, how do you say no to that when you're a Christian? You know, you're not supposed to say no to that stuff. And so we reluctantly agree that we're going to join this small group. But, uh, but we were kind of semi-involved, you know. In fact, that first summer, um, I think they asked us just before school was out. And that first summer, we were barely there. We were out of town or traveling more than we weren't. And then September or October rolled around, and something happened. And it changed everything. Absolutely changed everything. My daughter was starting to walk. She was about one at this point in time, and she was starting to read. Not really, she wasn't reading yet, but she was carrying books around the house and leaving them in random places, and one of the paperback books that she left in a random place was on the wood floor about a few feet from the leg of the chaise lounge, and so my wife comes walking out of the children's bedrooms, not knowing that the book's there, and slips and slams her pinky toe into the leg of the chaise lounge, erupts in pain, sits down on the floor, and oh, and I'm actually downstairs doing some laundry at this point, but don't tell anybody, because that'll totally ruin my reputation, and so I, I come running up the stairs, and I'm like, honey, what's going on, and she's like, I think I broke my toe, and I'm like, yeah, I looked at the toe, and it was definitely broken, it was, it was broken, I don't know, I'm not going to explain it to you, or describe it to you, but that was a broken toe, and I'm like, we got to go to the hospital right now. Somebody's got to do something with that toe, because that toe needs to get fixed. So my wife has beautiful feet. I love her feet, and yeah. So, so, so we, get, we get in the car, and at this point, this, this stress, this added stress just kind of pours over me. I start to think, how am I going to care for my darling bride while I'm trying to take care of the needs of my 10-year-old and 1-year-old. This is not going to be possible. I mean, somebody's got to do something with this toe, and I can't be there to help her through that if I'm trying to be there for my kids. My parents live in Derby. So does my sister. I don't know who I'm going to call. What am I going to do? So I called the Shaws and the McFalls, the people that had asked us to be a part of the small group. They live just down the street, and I thought, who knows, maybe they'll say yes, and so I tell them exactly what's going on. And they didn't just say, yeah, we, we'll watch your kids. They said, you know what, why don't you grab some pajamas and some other things for Isabella, and make sure Bradley brings anything else he needs to get done for the day tomorrow for school, 
and we'll just make sure that everything's taken care of, and you go take care of Karen. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome that somebody showed up for us in a time of need. And that, that moment, when they did that, when we weren't really that close and we didn't have a lot of accountability or investment in our relationship with one another, we were just kind of remotely friends, changed everything. We immediately started coming to small group more, investing more time and energy into those relationships with those people. We'd go to dinner with them, we'd go have lunch with them, we'd hang out with them, and they've really got to know us over the years, and uh, unfortunately for them, and they, they, uh, I think they still like us. And one of them came to the first service to hear this message, and I called her out. She really appreciated that. Um, but it was that moment for us that really told us that we should change our membership and join this faith family. So we moved churches at the time. I mean, it was within a few months that we moved our membership to um, Grace Church, where we were at before we came here. And those are those kinds of things that we can do for other people. Sometimes they're, they're really simple, you know, unimportant things, like just putting our arm around somebody and saying, hey, really like your smile today. It's infectious. And sometimes it's anticipating someone's need and showing up for them, like maybe making a meal for someone who's just had a baby, because it's kind of a crazy time when you've just had a baby, or going to pray with somebody when they've lost a loved one. That's what the Bible means when they talk about caring and comforting. That's what Paul was writing about. I want you to show up for people, encourage them. But he was talking about something else later on in the verse. He was talking about mentoring. And so we're going to spend a little bit more time kind of unpacking that. You know, there's a quite a few examples, biblical examples of mentoring. They're listed at the bottom of the page in your worship folder, and that's a, that was my gift to you. If you have a small group here at Eastside and you don't have anything to talk about this week, just read those verses together and visit about it. No preparation necessary, just that's my, Robert's gift to you. You can talk about how these people mentored each other. Um, but it, th- and that's not an exhaustive list. There's plenty of other examples. But the one we're going to talk about today is Moses and Joshua. Now, before we talk about that, I feel like I have to do just a little bit of housekeeping with you. The last three weeks now, we have um, Brandon and then uh, Lauren and then myself have all talked about Moses. And so if you're anything like me, you're probably getting this image in your head of a Superman-type figure that is one of the most incredible figures in the entirety of history. And I don't want you to think that, because Moses wasn't that. He was just a normal, everyday kind of guy. In fact, he had some pretty big issues, too, that was quiet enough and listened to God. And so I want you to look at this uh, next slide here. These are some of Moses' flaws. Now, you would probably agree with me that he was mildly impulsive since he got angry and killed someone. I would say that's some impulsivity um, there. I would say that um, there's not a lot of examples, maybe other than David in the Bible, of someone doubting God and his power and his strength more than Moses. I mean, Moses consistently went to God and said, I can't do this. I don't know how you're going to do this through me. I don't know how this is going to happen. And he had opportunities um, early on in his life to stand up for what he believed in, and he ran away from them. That sounds like me. Not the murdering part, but the other stuff. You know, I, I doubt I don't stand up for what I believe in. Sometimes I can be a little bit impulsive. Sometimes I can get angry. 
So we're going to talk together today about kind of the five, if you will, five principles of biblical mentoring. And I don't want you to think that just because Moses is this Superman type of figure, that's why he was able to do this, because he wasn't. He was just like us, maybe even a little worse in some areas and better in some. So you can do it too, and so can I. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 24. Let me set this up for you a little bit. This is a super cool moment in the Bible, in my opinion. So um, the Israelites, they're already out of Egypt at this point. They're kind of strolling on their way to the promised land. It's been a few months. They're hanging out. And then God kind of nudges Moses. So let's look in verse 12 here, and let's read this together. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide. And Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. It's a really cool story about a cloud and some other wild stuff about the presence of God later on, but this, uh, this passage has so much meat in it. I want you to think about this for a second. So, in this passage, it talks about Joshua being Moses' aid. We can actually read about that in about four or five other places. And some of those other references in Exodus through Deuteronomy, even on into um, a few later books, you can see that Joshua and Moses were together. In fact, it says in a few places that they were together from, from Joshua's youth. So Joshua was close to Moses. They hung out a lot. They did life together. In fact, this word aid, says Joshua was Moses' aid, it doesn't even really mean that. The translators are trying to do their best to paint a picture for us, but it's that, that word is a verb, and it literally means ministering so the concept here is more about the two of them ministering together or working together, doing life together than it is about, you know, Joshua being Moses' understudy. And that's all we have to do with people. When we're investing in someone else's life or when our lives are being invested in, sometimes it's as simple as just spending time with each other. It's just going to pick somebody up at their house and taking them out to lunch with you. Or on an, on an adventure. Maybe, uh, maybe to Target. Maybe to Target on an adventure. Or maybe to Dylan's. Or maybe to your house to do some yard work on an adventure. You know, those kinds of things. That's all it takes, just doing some life together. Every once in a while, a couple times a month maybe. As often as you want it to be. That's it. The next thing that we hear about in this passage is that they went to experience God together. Now this is, this is just incredible because the experience they had with God is so amazing. And not only that, but it talks about in multiple occasions that Moses took Joshua with him. He didn't take everybody else. He told everybody else to wait behind. But Joshua's going to come with me. And it, later on they have this whole tent, and that's where Moses goes to experience God. And Joshua would stay. Moses would leave. He'd go back to work or sleep or whatever, and Joshua would stay. So that time that Moses spent investing in Joshua's relationship with God was so profound that Joshua's relationship with God became his own. 
He wouldn't just go to God with Moses anymore. He went to God alone. There was a couple of years, oh, maybe eight or ten years ago, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, that I spent time working as a chaplain for a drug and alcohol treatment company. And when I first started, I went and sat down with the CEO, and he was a man of faith too, and so we planned out this entire process by which we were going to work with these, uh, these recovering individuals. We ordered all of these wonderful materials like recovery Bibles and this workbook and this tool and this resource, and we, I don't know, it was tons of money. We spent, I couldn't believe you were spending that much money on all these resources, honestly. And, um, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but a number of years ago, you didn't click a button on Amazon and the thing show up at your house the next day. It would take like three weeks for your stuff to get there. Do you remember that? That was like way back in the day, I guess. But because uh, now it's like you just push a button and it shows up like within the hour or something. I don't know how they do that. But, uh, but anyway, so it's going to be like three weeks for all this stuff to show up. And so I had no idea what to do. But I couldn't just like sit in my office for three weeks and wait for this stuff to show up. So I decided they, they had six different sites for this treatment organization. And so I decided that I'd just go to them a couple of times during the week and um, to each of them a couple of times and spend an hour, hour and a half or something and just hang out. And if anybody wanted to come and visit with me, we'd visit and we could talk about Jesus. And these, these incredible moments started happening. It's just, just going to blow your mind. We started reading the Bible together and praying that's just crazy, isn't it? So we didn't have like these special Bibles or all these resources or workbooks or anything. So we just read the Bible and prayed. And it was great. I mean, people experienced meaningful moments with God at that time. So a few weeks later, all those resources and stuff show up. And I'm like so amped up about it. I'm so excited. And so I, 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 grab, I grab the stuff and particularly I go... I've got really close with the folks at this one program, so I run out there, and we're like meeting, and I'm like, guys, check out this, all this cool stuff, we're gonna work this, and so we get into this workbook, and we like make it through the first four chapters or something, and they all give up. I don't know what that, what that is, but I can tell you right now that there are probably a list of books much longer that I've started and read the first few chapters than the books I've actually finished in my life. And it's so funny, it was true of these people too. And I don't know why that is, but I think it's probably because we are done with the problem or the issue. It's not a crisis anymore, or maybe it's just not as important to us anymore because we move on. But we don't, we don't necessarily always finish those things. But what we could always do together at that time is we could continue to read the Bible and pray together. And they wanted to do that. They wanted to experience God. They didn't so much care about... I'm not saying that workbooks and books and other things aren't a good idea. I so much so encourage you to do those things. But the basics of this life that we have, that we share with one another, it's about Jesus, and we can read about him in the Bible, and we can talk to him and listen to him together. That's all it takes. See, these aren't just these astronomical ideas that are mind-blowing. These are the things that Moses did with Joshua, and we can do with those that we're pouring our lives into. And number three, this one is in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. Let me set this up for you a little bit. So, um, this is kind of early on in Joshua's development. And Moses is probably thinking to himself at this moment, I need to give Joshua an opportunity to kind of see what he's, what he's all about. How, how good is he? Can he do this thing? So what am I going to do? I think 
I'll send them out to lead the army into a battle. That's kind of crazy. I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but I, if, if I was like mentoring somebody and, and helping to grow them, I probably would th- wouldn't p- try to put them in a life-threatening situation to test their abilities. But that's what Moses does with Joshua here, and so I think we can learn something from that. Now, if you look on, um, if you read here, it says, uh, 17 verse 9, it says, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites, and tomorrow I will stand up on the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And Moses uh, does this incredible thing where he raises his hands up in the air and they win, and if he gets tired and drops them down, then they start losing, and if he raises them back up, then they win. And so he gets some people to come and help him hold his hands up, and they win. And you can read later on in verse 13 that Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And I think there's something profound in this moment that we can learn about mentoring relationships, and that is that we have to create opportunities for testing. Now, this is kind of crazy. I'm going to tell you this story. There was this guy named Kevin, and I told you I kind of got to know Jesus for real when I was 17, and Kevin started hanging out with me a lot when I was 17, and he did this crazy thing. He started reading the Bible and praying with me. I know, it's wild, but we did that together, and he, oh, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks after we started meeting together, he said to me, now, is there anybody else you think should hear about this? that That was an incredibly life-changing moment for me. Because what he did was he said, Robert, I want you to take these things that we've been learning together, and I want you to go and talk to somebody else about them. A few weeks later, a few months later, he actually encouraged me, pushed me, forced me, he was only a few years older than I was, to start spending time with somebody else and doing the same kind of thing that he was doing with me. That changed my life completely. In fact, that's, it was in those moments that I experienced the call in my life to ministry. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those moments. So those opportunities for testing are incredibly important. The fourth thing we can learn from the relationship between Moses and Joshua is that God wants us to build up each other's strength. So if you turn to Deuteronomy 3.28, I want to read something to you. I like this verse a lot. So flip over there. You can look at it up on the screen. Um, You see, there are maybe a hundred times or so in the Bible where God or a prophet or somebody specifically orders somebody else to go and encourage and strengthen somebody else. So if we read in in Deuteronomy 3.28 here, it says, "Um, But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will lead the people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. And this is a really neat passage here because um, God is saying to Moses, go and encourage and strengthen him. I think God knows something about us. I think he knows something about us that we know too, but we don't generally put on display. And that is that we're weak. We're evil. I am so wicked sometimes. My thoughts or even the words that come out of my mouth in anger or frustration. We're so helpless. And God knows how much we need him and how much we need encouragement from other people. We don't have enough strength to do this thing alone. And so God, over and over and over again in the scriptures and in this relationship with Joshua and Moses, 
specifically commands us to go and give strength to and strengthen those that we're investing time and energy with. And then number five, and this one is probably one of my favorites, one of the most important ones, and that is this concept of commissioning folks to service. Now, if you flip over to Deuteronomy 31.7, you'll see one of my favorite moments of commissioning in the Bible. This is Moses towards the end of his life. He is about ready to kind of cash it in, if you will. He's going to pass away here pretty soon. And so he goes to Joshua, and he just, he just turns it all over to him. It says in, in verse 7, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged. You know, this is probably one of the most forgotten things in mentoring relationships, because a lot of times we just, we just become friends. You know, there's, there's these moments when we're learning so much from someone else that's mentoring us, or we're, we're just pouring ourselves out into someone else that we're mentoring. But there's this moment. God knows when it's supposed to be, and he wants us to commission others to service. He wants us to take this thing that we've learned, and he wants us to start doing it with other people. One thing that I've learned about this specific point in my life is a lot of times that happens a lot earlier than I think it should. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking there's a progression that people have to go through before they're ready to really disciple somebody else. And I don't know why. I don't know why I think that. Because I have read about so many people in the Bible that are so broken and so messed up that God used to do incredible things. I have seen it that so self-evident in my own life. But yet, for some reason, I think that I have to get people ready before they're ready to go. And so, I think that this is something that we shouldn't forget about, and it should be incredibly important to us. So just remember that as you enter in these kind of relationships. You know, God wants us to live exponential lives. God wants to build inside of us an exponential fire that we can then pour out on other people, that we can invest in their lives with. Jesus is the one true builder. And he has called us to build each other up. So I encourage you this week, this month, this year, for the rest of your lives, try to be there for other people when they're going through tough times. Maybe even more than that, I encourage you to find a Moses and to find a Joshua. I am convinced that this life is not meant to be done alone. That exponential life that Jesus is trying to build for us is meant to be done with other people. That's why we see it happen so frequently in his word. And if you're missing a Moses in your life, or you're missing a Joshua, 
then something's missing. It's been those moments in my life that my faith walk hasn't been as strong, that I've struggled with doubts or fear or anxiety or whatever those things may be. So I encourage you to go to God with that request. If you need someone in your life, ask him to show you who it is. You know, what's kind of weird about that specific need is it's so similar to the need that we have for the one true builder. Jesus wants to work in your heart. He wants to build in you something incredible. He has a plan for your life. So here in a minute, we're going to sing a song together. It's a great song. And I would encourage you, if you feel so moved, to come forward and pray with me if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you want to have somebody help you pray to God for that mentor that you need or that person that you need to mentor, then come forward and we'll pray with you. Pray with me now. Father, you are so amazing. You are so amazing because you use broken, wicked, and evil and lost people just like me to do incredible things in this world. I don't know why you do that, but it makes me smile and it brings a tear to my eye. God, we want more than anything to be close to you. Lord, we beg you to build in us and to build through us your kingdom in this earth. Lord, make our lives exponential and make your kingdom exponential in this world. God, right now, move us. Speak to our hearts. Bring us to repentance. And bring us face to face with you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.